Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to the next picture show, movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Scott Tobias here again with Just Keith. Just Keith, uh, Tasha and Genevieve are still out this week, but joining us again is our pal, Noel Murray. Noel. Happy to be back. Yes. So excited. Wow. I'm so excited. Um, uh, Hold on. We're halfway through because we, you know, just behind the curtain a little bit. We record both episodes in in one night. Uh, You're going to spoil the illusion. Are we officially broing out since it's just bros here doing bro stuff? (laughs) We've been broing out. Have you not paid attention? We've been broing out for some time. Uh, But uh, yeah, this is... uh, we're in our man caves or whatever we're doing. We're recording this. Uh, I'm actually in my man cave. This is the. I, I have the. Uh, have two. I have the. Uh, my, this here, is where I have yeah. the video game console and the uh, couch. It's a couch down here and uh, a, a Blu-ray player. Anyway, guys, I, I hate to tell you, but I'm sitting here in my living room and my, my wife is sitting next to me playing video games. So. <laughs> I, I sleep. I sleep in a big bed with my wife. Um, That's right. All right. So on last week's episode, we discussed Robert Altman's comic mystery, The Long Goodbye, adapted from a Philip Marlowe novel by Raymond Chandler. This week, we're bringing in another sleuth, I Am Fletcher, from a popular series of comic mystery novels by Gregory McDonald. Stepping into the role popularized by Chevy Chase in the mid-80s, John Hamm stars as Fletch, a former investigative reporter of some repute, who gets involved in a complicated case surrounding a stolen Picasso, a kidnapped collector, and a woman Fletch finds murdered in his Boston rental space. About the murder, Fletch calls it into the police, which winds up making him the prime suspect. So while the inspector, Slow-Mo Monroe, played by Roy Wood Jr., collects evidence against him, Fletch starts poking around too. In the process, we meet a range of colorful characters, including Kyle MacLachlan as a germaphobic art dealer who's really into electronic dance music, Annie Momolo as a nosy bohemian neighbor, Marcia Gay Harden as a countess with a conspicuous accent, and John Slattery as Fletch's former editor. Confess Fletch is the type of movie that never gets made anymore, and it's got the box office numbers to prove it. <laughs> but are people missing out? We'll talk about it after the break. My father's paintings were stolen. The Picasso was appraised at $20 million. Well, it hardly seems worth stealing. 
You're not a detective. But I was an investigative reporter. It's an occupation that's been cheapened by the digital age, like president. Earl Maurice Fletcher. They caught me in the middle of a yawn. Can you imagine that? Who killed this young woman? I think the victim interrupted an art theft. Your fingerprints are on the murder weapon, and someone matching your description was seen with the victim. Come back with me to police headquarters. I get it. You want my help? Okay. Hey, guys, this is the way we can call in a coffee order a kill for a macchiato. Not literally. I looked into your criminal record. And? You're a bit of a shady character, Mr. Fletcher. <sighs> but I am adorable. So, Keith and Noel, I have been beating the confession fletch drum ever since seeing it like the moment i I watched it i was immediately posting threads a thread of favorite quotes uh, from the film about you know which i think really just achieves everything that it's supposed to achieve but you know the reviews have been mixed to positive and and the film got no support at all so am i am i crazy or is this a really good movie it's a really good movie. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I, uh, um, I do feel like it's kind of becoming a, a cause for, for those of us who have seen and enjoyed it, uh, both before its own qualities, which are considerable, and I'm sure we'll get into, but it is, as you say, the sort of movie that just doesn't get made anymore, which is sort of, you know, a main, mainstream appealing mid-budget uh, entertainment that's, that's, you know, I, I think if, you know, nothing against you know, younger viewers are going to be turned off on uh, by it. I, I think you know, it's kind of movie I would have watched as a kid, as I watched the original Fletch, but it's not specifically aimed at the young person quadrant, I guess is a way to put it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I thought it was terrific. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious about when you say that, you know, it's kind of been lost. I, I do wonder about that. I mean, obviously, I don't know how anything is measured measured anymore. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I don't. I don't know how you measure what success is. I mean, there are things that I feel like people are talking about all the time that end up getting canceled by you know TV shows that get canceled by Netflix or where, where whatever. And it turns out that there was like some kind of number they needed that that never hit. Obviously, you know, Fletch did have a very small theatrical release, and I'm sure it didn't do you know amazing box office. Yeah. But you know, they made a choice to put it out on VOD, and I have no idea how many how much money it's made in that. Is there any chart that tells us how many people I rented it? I saw today that well, that I don't know, but I, but I think it's it's leaving theaters after one week and earning, I believe, something like five hundred thousand dollars. So theatrically, yeah, no. But but I, I wonder if it's doing. You know, it might be doing well. I mean, streaming, I, I, I suspect people would, you know, it is a full, currently, as, as we record this, at least, it's a full-priced rental, like what you mean to pay $20 yeah, it's, for it. Yeah, it. it'll cost you like, I think it costs you like nineteen ninety nine to rent or twenty four ninety nine to yeah, buy. Yeah, I, I just bought it because I like, whatever. I, I just bought it too. It's $5 <laughs> more, whatever. But I mean, and I think it's going to be on like Showtime in about three weeks or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe it'll do better when it's it's more widely available. Although Showtime stuff doesn't get, the, you know, Showtime versus HBO. I mean, that doesn't get, doesn't get the same kind of uh, attention either. But anyway, I, you know, I, I feel like I don't know how Twitter, anything works anymore. No, <laughs> it just I don't know either. I, I mean, used to understand. I used to understand it was theater, VHS, yeah, cable, network television. Yes. That that made there sense was that to great, me. Th- that great Matt Damon thing from Hot Ones that I passed around a month ago where he was like, yeah, everything died when DVD died. Mm. You know, we, used to, we used to make our money on DVD and then they stopped doing DVDs. And so that's why there's no longer these kind of mid-budget movies, which makes, you know, some degree of sense. But anyway, but the point is, everybody that I know is talking about Confess Flesh. Mm-hmm. And so that at least is good. At least I feel like, you know, in our circle of uh, 
of cinephiles and fans how, of how did Dixon culture. win? Everyone, <laughs> everyone is watching thing. Confess Fletch. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. And and there's talk apparently that there may actually be more. Yeah, he, yeah um, Matola does have Matola. Matola does have you know a follow up in, in mind for sure. Yeah, um, he's working on the screenplay. Yeah. You know whether or not it happens or not. I certainly hope so. This this it lends itself to sequels and and, and keep making yeah. more installments yeah all right so why so why do we love it let's talk about all right it. yeah that, that's an interesting question uh you, you, you don't <laughs> want to continue with the meta discussion about about <laughs> box office i do kind uh, of yeah we whatever. actually we uh, that's something i, <laughs> I kind of want to get back to but let's talk about the movie first why do we like it i think the tone is is right on this i mean i think it's extremely funny but it's just the way the lightness with which the film carries itself it, the, the way it hangs on john ham's performance in his kind of way of sort of bumping his way into trouble but nothing seems disturbed i mean there's there, i mean there are murder there's murder in this film it's missing persons in the film there's a lot of passion in the film but it, it never kind of loses its deafness this film if there's something it's always fun even from when he's you know, just when he discovers this this body, I mean, which would be a disturbing thing, but he's like, yeah, he makes the phone call, and you know, and and he's asked why he didn't call nine one one. It's like, well, you know, I mean, there's really no point, right? It's not. <laughs> it's already it's already kind of happened, and uh, you know, you may want to contact homicide. They're interested in this kind of thing, you know. And I and I think he almost maybe anticipates that hey, he's there, and there's a dead body, so he he may be a a suspect, and so he busies himself. He just kind of then reengages with the idea of proving his innocence and you know becoming a a both a target and a partner to the inspectors who are investigating the case you know and just you know and he's found kind of people to prank as well and so i mean all that stuff there's just a lightness to this film uh, just a joy to it really that i just found infectious right from the start I think it's the role that John Hamm has been searching for since Mad Men ended because he's not wasn't necessarily evident on that show, but he's he's funny. I mean, he certainly when he pops mm-hmm. up in, in comedies, he's really quite good. And this is, you know, it gives he gets, you know, he looks like John Hamm. He's a leading man, you know, but he's he can be goofy. And and I think this is the exact overlap of of those two skills. And I think it also gets at it does what we talked about a little bit in the last episode, which is, you know, detective stories can go everywhere. And like, it has a very specific setting, which is, which is Boston. And he can kind of go from the heights to the, to the depths of that place. And it's got lots, lots of meet colorful characters along the way. I really like all the supporting performances in this movie. Um, you know, it, it's, 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 I thought it was delightful. Yeah, I, Ham's a very interesting case for me because you know, even back when he was, you know, uh, on Mad Men and became sort of the, the next big thing as this this uh, handsome young-ish uh, actor. He wasn't that young when when Mad Men started. He always had his roots kind of were in like improvisational theater. Like he was like friends with all these comedians. He's the kind of person who would carve out time to appear in Bridesmaids, uh, you know, even while he was in the middle of doing doing Mad Men. So clearly, this is something that is is very close to his heart doing comedy. And it's been hard, I think, to find post-Mad Men the kind of role where he can express the John Hamness. <laughs> people have like on I've seen people on Twitter saying, I hope Fletch does well so he can stop doing the progressive ads 
But you know what? He's funny in the he progressive funny ads. In his, those ads. Yeah. <laughs> and he's and he's alongside his friend who's, you know, the actress who plays Flo, who was on Mad Men as well, is also from the same culture, you know, the same place that he came from, you know, in Los Angeles. So, you know, no, I mean, no we had to bring I, you in for a side episode about the, pro, the progressive cinematic universe, which I find a fascinating uh, world, but that's, <laughs> we'll get way too off topic if we talk about it here. Listen, man, I could do a whole thing about all commercials. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would love to do it anyway. So yeah, this is definitely a, a great role for him because um, he can show his humor, but he can also still be sort of handsome. I mean, I love the, I love his conception of this character as somebody who is sort of constantly rumpled. Mm-hmm. His shirts are never really <laughs> ironed. He's, he's got his little Lakers hat on when it's not appropriate to wear the Lakers hat. You know, uh, he's constantly complaining about having to wear shoes. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's quirky, but it's not like quirky to the point of being. Like a, like aggressively quirky. It's just kind of who this guy is, and he sees no reason to be anybody other than who he is. And that seems, I think, I think very appropriate for Ham to play. Maybe we should we should bring in the Chevy Chase version because I don't necessarily think there's just a gulf between what these guys are doing. There is not. No, um, yeah. it, but except there are in more subtle respects. I mean, for one, there's no the, the whole dis- the disguises. I guess and Fletch. I guess are, are. I mean, in Confess Fletch, he he'll change. He'll go by different names and he'll fool fool people into thinking that he's say a uh, <laughs> reporter for <laughs> what is he? Is he a does it interiors he, he writes about interior design or something is that how he it, yeah oh my god that scene is so good uh <laughs> but um so there's not anything you know and he's not wearing uh you know an afro like uh chevy chase does in one scene i mean there's none of that i think there's just a little bit chevy chase maybe gives you just a little bit more all around than ham does ham, ham kind of just turns that volume down a little bit but fundamentally they're not that different right I just like this one. I never really liked Fletch, the Chevy Chase Fletch. I, I just, I just feel Ooh. like it's, it's, I know, I know people love it. People love it. But, but, uh, it's just so much, it is, and I don't hate Chevy Chase, but it's so much Chevy Chase. And it's so much about that persona. And, you know, I feel like you, you, this is, this is much more, much more pleasant watch. I hear you, but I mean, my wife and I have quoted Fletch, uh, pretty much for our entire marriage. <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, I, I, while you do that, I'm going to look up the appropriate onion headline for uh, for what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> it's a popular favorite in in our household, and something I've seen many many times. And I, again, I, I, like you say, Scott, I don't think the gulf is really all that wide between uh, the, the the conception of Fletch in the Chevy Chase version and the conception of Fletch in the John Hamm version. I'll also say that I think there should have been the second Fletch movie is terrible. Yeah, and there really should have been more. Fletch movies that were closer to McDonald's books that Chase could have starred in because I really think it was his best role. I think it was really the much like this might be the perfect role for John Hamm post Mad Men. I think Fletch might be have been the perfect role for Chevy Chase post Saturday Night Live because it really does you know combine his national lampoon you know smartassness with a certain level of you know actually caring about something. Um, which is not something you really get from Chevy Chase and other, yeah, other aspects. Yeah, so I think maybe Memoirs of the Invisible Man is kind of like a failed Fletch in, in some ways, where where it is trying to find that balance for him, and it's just not not well. You know, the movie's not good. Yeah, seems like old times. I guess also kind of has that same vibe. We we, we don't want to get too down the rabbit hole of Chevy Chase. <laughs> funny Farm. It wouldn't be a very funny farm. Why? Why would we? Would it, wouldn't we? A, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a very deep rabbit hole. There's like three good Chevy Chase movies. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. But but yeah, no. I think that I think there are problems with the original Fletch. You know, things that don't hold up as well. Like you mentioned, the Afro and other things. Mm. But um, I do think that that his his understanding of this character as somebody who is 
both the smartest person in the room, but also kind of like not able to capitalize it on it <laughs> all the time is actually pretty true to, uh, to what Gregory McDonald was trying to write. The Onion headline, by the way, for this from 1999, Area Insurance Salesman Celebrates 14th Year of Quoting Fletch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have wait, a... Uh, wait, wait, are you ready? Here's the, here's the lead. At a gala luncheon featuring blood... <laughs> featuring Bloody Mary steak sandwiches and steak sandwiches. Yes, I was going to quote that. I was literally going to quote that. Harry insurance salesman Marty Cutler celebrated his 14th year quoting lines from the 1985 Chevy <laughs> Flesh. Steak sandwiches and steak sandwiches. Steak sandwiches, steak sandwiches. That's, That's pretty right. good, Dr. Rosen Rosen. All right. My, my, my wife is laughing right now next to you. I just want you to know that. It still works. The line plays. It does play. It does play. Oh, man. Uh, for, yeah, Michael Ritchie. He was like, he was in the zone for a bit, wasn't he? Yep. And then he and then a bunch of stuff happened that he did and then he made Fletch. <laughs> and then he was out of the zone completely. Anyway, oh, Jesus there's the... <laughs> Anyway, so uh, that was the uh, career of Michael Ritchie. I so, uh, like, uh, let's talk about, I guess, this as a, as a mystery, because, uh, you know, that, this is one that, I mean, there's a lot of strands, a lot of strands to this story. And it's got a lot of ins, lot lot of ins and outs for, <laughs> for the dude, dude. This is, it's all kind of tying back again to uh, Big Lebowski. But did you find it satisfying as a mystery? Because this, this feels as naughty as any, you know, noir or noir detective stories you're going to see. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it, I think it, I was intrigued by the mystery. Mystery, you know, I'm I'm always I'm one of those people who, with mysteries, is is more interested in in where the story takes me than the mystery itself. But uh, you know, it's it's it kept me going. It was an effective path to follow through uh, this little uh, the world full of eccentrics that Fletch explored. Yeah, the mystery is fine. The main purpose of the mystery for a lot of these uh, Fletch stories is just how people try to actually exploit Fletch. That was true in the in the first film and that's you know true to a certain extent here. Like he's mm-hmm. he's he's in the middle of it in some way. So part of what he has to figure out isn't just who done it but also why do they need him? Like why why do they stick him in the middle of this? There's some other reason going on here. And so that leads to a lot of the stuff we talked about uh, last episode with Long Goodbye. Um, and as you mentioned, you know Keith being able to sort of explore um, you know different parts of you know, this world in which he lives in, and in this case, it's Boston. In the first film, it was it was Los Angeles. You know, being able to uh, stand face to face with the rich and kind of make fun of their pretensions without them entirely realizing he's making fun of them, I think is part of what's it's, it's part of the fun of the story, but also part of the point of the story, which is that they have their own machinations, their own agendas, and they don't presume that he's going to be able to do anything to stop them. Yeah, in ter- terms of the story itself, I am. You know, about ten days out from seeing this film, and I remember the characters. I remember the moments and lines. If you asked me to, to recount the story, I was like, uh, something about art. I think, uh, yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> maybe kidnapping. Yeah. <laughs> Part of it was in Italy. I know that, but but uh, uh, but I, I don't think that's I don't think that's a sign of failure. I think I think that's just a sign of you know what really sticks out about this film is not necessarily right. the narrative itself, it's, which it's I think the- is perfectly fine. Yeah, it is about kind of bringing you into this world and introducing you to all of these characters and, and making that more the point of the the movie than the the storytelling. And because it, 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 it does it does get a little murky, and I, and I and I wonder if I have heard complaints from people who 
otherwise do like the film it's that they were confused or unsatisfied in some way with the way things kind of resolve themselves but but again that doesn't end up end up being really the purpose of this type of thing it really is is about more satisfying you on a character level and in terms of the setting and, and then it is the actual mechanics of, of the mystery which which get a little bit murky so so let's get get, get to the stuff that actually is satisfying i mean do you have uh, you know any you know favorite jokes or characters or, or moments from this film things that you things that you're going to think of whenever uh, you think about confess fletch Yes, uh, I think about him pretending to be the magazine uh, reporter and, and uh, talking to one of Boston's top lifestyle curators. Um, bespoke, and, is it like, uh, is it? Bespoke, yes. It teaches us something about ourselves. It is, I think I have my quote, I think is the next line, right, for the piece. I think yes, I have a poll exactly. quote. And all, there's all kinds of lines, the whole sequence, like, um, I'm always looking for for ways to accentuate to, to actuate the senses, and uh, we had we we had an evolved harmonious disuniting, you know. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, yeah, it's really it's I don't know, it's that's good stuff. I think any time that Fletch tries to speak Italian is uh, all of that is his, 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 his Italian is very good. <laughs> Italian is very good. <laughs> just, he'll just keep he'll just keep doing it. I like the uh, uh, when when uh, the uh, police uh, come up to his car and he tells them about what he's learning on the podcast, like, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, about uh, like about uh, pigs. Uh, do you know they never sweat, and they have the uh, they have the longest orgasms of any of any mammal. Oh, that is uh, that is uh, good stuff. And I mean, it's just peppered with stuff like that, which is really what is what the eighty five flesh is all about. Because you know, it's very quotable in the, in the same way. I mean, I, it, like I said when I when I was right after watching it, like I was immediately putting you know favorite quotes onto twitter because i just like man they just, they just you know feel like they could just immediately sort of take off the culture at least in the culture as i imagine it in my mind not not the culture in which nobody's paying attention to the fletch uh, <laughs> i mean that's the, that, that's the thing just about fletch about this movie in general that's so perplexing and maybe this gets back to the kind of current landscape being unfriendly to it is that you know say you have the idea that you want to bring fletch back which is you know bringing things back that's what we're doing right now, right? We're bringing we're bringing back right, properties. Yeah, exactly. How do you do this? How do you do it better than this? How? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it that you wanted? That you, I think that it's you just bringing back something that is nonetheless unmarketable under current theatrical circumstances. Right. You know, I mean, I unlike not, I, say, yeah. now you see me three, which I yeah, which maybe was just I think, I think maybe it's a matter of like doing it on some some ridiculous scale, which really wouldn't make it fletch. You know, it, mm-hmm. having having it sort of Adam McKaying it up and making it large, or know? taking the same story and stretching it out for 10, epi- 10 hour long episodes. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean that's the thing. I, I really do feel like it's a, maybe just a platform, but I'm not even sure about that anymore. Like I, at one point I would say, boy, it's too bad that this show is not airing on Netflix because it would be what everybody's talking about mm, right now. Yeah. But, but Netflix is kind of in the, in the dumps. Yeah. So I mean, I don't really know. I don't know what the platform is anymore. To do like a Fletch series say, or something with these. T- yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, we, I mean, how do you become mayor of Easttown or the white Lotus on HBO? Those, those two shows, you wouldn't have thought they would have connected the way they did. They're great, and people found them, and then they became a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't. These days, I don't know how you. I mean, this is something people would really enjoy. So how do you get it to them? Where do you put it? Where yeah. they're going to find it? And, and maybe I mean, it would not have been good. Obviously, I know Keith was joking. It would not have been good as like a you know, four episode series. Even it needs to be a movie. Mm-hmm. But you know, Sherlock was a huge deal for for PBS for a long time, and those were movies. Those were like eighty minute movies that aired three a year. 
you know, for three or four years with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. And those were great. Yeah. Black Mirror, you know, those things, those things are oftentimes, you know, movie length. God, this past season of Stranger Things, I think we're still going on. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I started watching one a month ago. Yeah. I think it's still happening. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know. We got to put a Demogorgon in the next Fletch somehow. You got to work that in there. Uh, would watch. Would watch. Would watch anything <laughs> with uh, John Hamm being able and Craig Matola doing, doing their work. But it's a film. And, uh, and we're here to talk about connections between one film and the next. And that's what we're going to do uh, after the break. Quite the collection of uh, impressionists you have here. Mm. Pre, post. Neo, all the best prefixes. I was robbed a few years ago, so I don't keep anything of value in the building. Those are reproductions. That's how I introduce my children. <laughs> oh, do you sail? I do not. Uh, I have an aversion to boat shoes. Well, well shoes in general, but boat shoes in particular. I mean, is it a slipper or is it a shoe? Come on, take a lane. <laughs> is this a model of your boat? Well, yes, I'm embarrassed to admit it is. Well, she's beautiful. Thank you. I hope to see you soon, Mr. Horan. Indeed. Now it's time for Connections, when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. Uh, well, you know, I wrote uh, this um, pairing came at, came, it was sort of my idea because when, when I sat down to write my review for Confessed Flesh, I just, it was, it was the long goodbye that I thought of as much as the Chevy Chase version just because of the tone of the films and, and their heroes these sort of slacker detectives who who kind of seem to stumble their way in the, into into trouble but maybe have something more going on so uh what, what do you make of that i mean both of these we get like you said people who don't seem to know what they're doing and yet there's a reason they have they're in the profession they're in i mean i mean fletch talking about what an, an amazing investigative reporter he used to be of some repute, is, of some repute <laughs> is, is funny every time but it's also you know it turns out to be true i mean he, he does know how to get to the bottom of a story how much he ever you know how little effort he might seem to be putting in into the investigation itself i think that's something he shares in common you know with elliot gould's marlowe it's like these are these are people who you know in some ways get where you know are able to do what they do in fletch's cases he's able to kind of pass himself off as people he's not in marlo's case and you know this particular marlo's case is because he seems so uh unthreatening and just kind of is a you know present without really asserting himself in, in any way but in both cases they're people who aren't they don't put people off either either by deception or ingratiating himself uh to them and you know as fletch does or just kind of like being a you know a passive uh presence as 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 marlowe is they're not they're detectives who don't seem like they're detecting at all yeah they're both people who like to know things Mm -hmm. i think that's part of it like they like to know more than anybody else in the room so i think that's part of like fletch does a lot of research in this movie which is you know in, in these kind of odd moments because he really sort of is curious to know who these people are and what's actually going on. I think something else that connects the two is uh, the tendency towards sort of mumbling asides, mm-hmm. like <laughs> things that they're saying that, that are really just for the audience of themselves. Like there's no indication that anybody else is even hearing the comments they're making. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. like nobody reacts uh, like, like early in the film when, when the Fletch is told to shut up and talk. 
and he says, that's a confusing set of instructions. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a great joke, but nobody laughs, you know? Or like he notes later on when somebody uh, in, in the mystery uh, steals a homecoming float, runs into a goalpost, and he casually says, nothing like a little consequence free fun for the rich, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and you get the sense that he would be saying these things if he was in a room by himself. Like he does not care whether anybody's <laughs> listening to him or not. And the same is true, I think, of Marlowe and, and Elliot Gould's conception. Just, uh, his mumbling little okay by me. You know, that's something he says, whether anybody is paying attention or not paying attention, it's, his, it's for him, really, more yeah. than anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, bit where, there's a bit where he's behind the clinic and some <laughs> and Orly is carrying a patient by the pants. He's like, are you carrying what? what? <laughs> but, you know, carrying guy? I don't know, I can't even. <laughs> but he just, he just makes note of this, the strangeness of that, that, that moment, uh, that part of his job. It's just, it's just like this stream of consciousness that we're privy to as, as an audience, and it's uh, delightful. At one point, he literally dances like nobody's watching. Like, he just starts <laughs> dancing for no reason at yeah. all. You know, so, yeah. you know, one thing I think they have in common, too, is their ability to enter a space un- uninvited. You know, with in, in feeling in feeling that like they belong or making themselves belong. You know, it, it, you know, it, Fletch is somebody who, you know, he can get into a you know a private club or a party and just you know, put on the uniform and just be in that space. And and, and he he con- he's he's constantly entering where he doesn't belong. And so does Marlo. If Marlo wants to go somewhere, if he wants to go behind the clinic, he just goes there. And no, there's nothing there's nothing stopping him from doing it until somebody actually does uh, stop him. So there's kind of this this freedom of of movement that they. That they both have they're just going to kind of follow their instincts and if they get kind of knocked about along the way it's like it's something they almost anticipate marlo is like one of those detectives that we're kind of getting roughed up every once in a while getting getting tossed in the back of a car getting getting smacked around like uh you know that's kind of comes with the terrain he's never he doesn't seem that phased by it and, I, and it's the same with fletch there's never any a moment there's never a moment where he's at all alarmed or scared or doesn't feel like he can't be himself or put any restrictions on himself. They just are what they are, these guys. So one of the one thing we, we didn't get a chance to mention when we talked about Confess Fletch at the top is that it's got a hell of a supporting cast. And, and that's one thing that both of these films have in common is that they do kind of serve to introduce you know a lot of you know quirky supporting characters. No. Yeah, I, I got to give a nod to Marsha Gay Harden, um, um, you know, uh, who is a, a a veteran of doing stylized noir type characters from back in her days in Miller Trotting mm-hmm. for the Coen Brothers um, and other things as well. Her amazing accents and calling Fletch Flesh, Flesh, <laughs> like a vampire, <laughs> um, is, is is fantastic. So yes, Marsha Marcia Gay Harden is my 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 uh, my first big uh, big shout out for. She she understood the assignment and she uh, she came ready to play. Yeah. So did Kyle McLaughlin, I think. We gotta 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 give a shout out for Kyle McLaughlin as your germophobic electronic dance music enthusiast. I, I just I find find uh you know there's a this scene of him in his office with the with the music and kind of the strobe lights going and I, I think that's a kind of a fun aspect of that character. I mean everyone's really good. Ray Ward Jr.'s really good. He's super fun oh, yeah. as Fletch's um, antagonist slash collaborator at times. I like, I never, I don't think I've seen Aiden Marieri before who plays the junior detective. She's terrific. Uh, yeah. She's really fun. She's super endearing. And, you know, she, she really gets into his podcast information and, and uh, I don't know, Eddie Mubolo has a, has a, a scene, steal, you know, has one scene that is just one of the highlights. It's fun to see Slattery here. I mean, you know, I guess we're making 
making connections here, <laughs> but but I mean, there there are probably equivalent performances in each one. I mean, there is like, like some directly equivalent characters in some ways. I don't know how conscious it is, but you know, we have the movie impressionist uh, gatekeeper along goodbye and 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 eugene merman plays a, a somewhat equivalent character here as a uh security guard at the, at the yacht club who uh uh isn't always focused on his job i mean i i, just, <laughs> I love i love eugene merman whenever he shows up in anything so it was, I was happy to see him here yeah roy wood jr is is such a such a great highlight is is slow-mo uh, you know and, and it's just one of those it, it gets that kind of the specificity of the film when, when you can have a scene where, you know, just the fact that he is, has a newborn. And so they can have this conversation about ferberizing the kid. These kids, <laughs> yeah. kind of, Sleep training. Which yeah. is just, you know, I, I, it was great. I mean, that, I mean, really that these are the things that great movies do is that, is that they are uh, specific and they, they have, you know, they really thought through these things on a, on that kind of a granular level. And, and, and so it's not just, it's not just about, Fletch putting one over on the inspectors, which he, he does. It's about him having the, the specific relationships with each one of them and drawing that out in different, in different ways. And, and uh, yeah, the supporting characters play a big part of that. And I think that's also just part of both of these films. Is, it, 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 the purpose of both of these films as well is just when you, when you can follow a detective around and go to different places, you can meet, you know, all kinds of different people and take an interest in them because that, you know, you have the, the time and the space to do that and you can bring them into this mystery that grows you know ever more complicated as as a result and um yeah that's that's the strength of both films it's worth noting too that the character that roy wood jr is playing is um original to the film i believe because the book which i read many many years ago like 20 years ago i barely remember it i remember it being very good that's all i remember i remember it being very good i remember it also having a secondary character called flynn who was the inspector who was working the case, who later was spun off into a whole series of Gregory McDonald novels about Flynn. Mm. So uh, Flynn, they could not get the rights to have Flynn be in the movie. So the character that would have been Flynn is the character that Roy Wood Jr. is playing, essentially. It's a different, you know, they totally reconceived the character, but it is the inspector character who is the kind of the foil to foil slash collaborator with, uh, with Flesh throughout the film. You know, another connection that we should make and this is this being as we mentioned before kind of a feature of the genre is just kind of the tone and the evocation of place of of you know the whole genre serving as a as a you know vehicle for for us to kind of explore different areas and i and i and i wonder if this is kind of where confess fletch falls a little bit short of of what altman is able to do and of course that's you know <laughs> there's no knock against <laughs> Matola for not being as good as Robert Altman, but but I think that your one sense of Los Angeles at this particular time of Altman's impression of it sticks to the ribs, I guess, a, a little bit more than what Matola is yeah. able to do with, like, say, Rome and in Boston. It's tied up, too, with, like, this early 70s disillusionment, uh, you know, Los Angeles going through this huge, what what now looks like a huge cultural transition uh, as the 60s turned into the 70s, like, that kind of inherent vice moment in Los Angeles. And, you know, I, I don't. You know, maybe decades from now we'll see the say the same thing about what Confess Fletch does with Boston in 2022. But but I, I think it's less. It feels like Altman at least was partially interested in in, in capturing the 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 you know uh, Los Angeles of that moment uh, in a way that Matola is not not again not against a knock against him. But maybe you know it'll become evident years from now. 
Yeah, I don't think we know yet. I mean, I don't think there's anything particularly Boston-y about yeah. the movie, but there, I think there is some stuff that is particularly 2022-ish about the movie, including a couple of jokes about the pandemic uh, that are worked in there. Um, you know, jokes about the state of newspapers, you know, with John Slattery's character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not, not fun jokes, but they're yeah, jokes. They're good. Yeah, um, they're good. You know, so, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think that there are, again, you, you never know these things at the time. It's hard to, hard to say what's going to stand out, you know, uh, down the road. I'm, I'm always fascinated when I watch a movie from even like something as recently as 15 years ago. There are small little touches where I'm like, oh, you know, I, uh, sometimes it's just the people they cast in the movie. Like I watched a movie from 15 years ago and like that actor was like all over the place 15 years ago and has disappeared, you know, ever since. But that, that point in time, it was very important to get so-and-so in this. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, I don't know, all all these things you can't really tell. But in terms of place, I don't know that if you watched The Long Goodbye in 1973 or four, that you would necessarily think to yourself that, oh, this is, you know, look at these hippies and uh candle dippers and Wouldn't you know you think to yourself sure i mean yeah, just yeah. because because we are experiencing it through a character who is kind of trying to process it i mean it calls attention to it in its in its way no you're right there is like when someone mentions that somebody is a uh uh a candle dipper <laughs> and uh and and the person the mob mob guy responds uh, i can remember when people had jobs <laughs> yeah so yeah you're right there is a certain sense of commenting commenting on you know how things have changed yeah and i think that i mean i think it's just a a case of a filmmaker's priority as well because i think when you're talking about robert altman the world of the film is the point i mean that that is that is what he is you know that is largely what he is trying to do first among before he does anything else is just trying to figure out you know what what bring in the backdrop you know but give us a sense of place that is sort of you know and then everything else is kind of more in service of that here it's like you wonder you know could confess fletch have had taken place in paris and you know washington dc and been hugely different than what it is now in terms of just the way it feels and what it's trying to express i'm not really sure that it does i don't feel like it's that that engaged in what is got what is happening in in Rome in 20 you know 22 or or or, or Boston I think they're just locations um you're well, hard to when it had a different accent what was, was, yeah was, was right, exactly exactly but in terms of the actual backdrop I, you know I think it's important to the film that that there be kind of an international quality to it and it, it leads to many jokes I mean yeah so on a joke level you can't beat Italy in this film just just the, you know because of Marshall Gay Harden and because of of Fletch speaking Italian uh, but uh but in terms of Italian it's, Italian is very good very good, very very good. good. <laughs> I want to s- s- sw- <laughs> swim in your eyes of piss or whatever it is that he says to her um uh it's it's uh yeah wonderful stuff but but uh, you know I think if if, if there's any place that were confessed fletch falls a little short it's that and that's not really a matola thing i mean i think about i think about a film like Adventureland by matola which is a film that i really like i mean that's all that's what that's all about is about is about giving you that giving you a sense of of a very a particular time and place where uh where, where the object your object of desire somehow owns a big star on vinyl and <laughs> no how how is that possible <laughs> that's just a that's pure it's pure fantasy this is like uh, lord of the rings almost it's so ridiculous um anyway uh that i'm dig- digressing as usual i think both films have you know as we touched on in the last episode with with uh the long goodbye i think there's sort of a suspect attitude toward 
money, people with money, uh, people who can kind of float through the world that way in a way that, that you know, I, I think, you know, Fletch seems to live pretty well, certainly better than, than, than Philip Marlowe and, and, and Long Goodbye. But there is a level of, of privilege and, you know, excessive resources that he is, is detached from. He, he, he can brush up against it, but it's not his, his world. And it's not a world where people are always that well behaved. And I think there's, you know, authority is held in, in mm. to be suspect too. I mean, uh, you know, I think I think there's a, some nuance to confess Fletch in in, in the two spe- specific characters who are representing the, the police and that. But even that that even that film ends with a really wonderful exchange between Roy Wood Jr.'s character and Fletch, where Roy Wood Jr. is kind of like, I don't know who people hate more, uh, uh, <laughs> journalists or cops, and. Uh, <laughs> And it flashes like it, it's cops, <laughs> uh, you know. So it has that, you know. I, I think there is that kind of, um, you know, sense, sense of of uh, there's a kind of a, a thing where it's sort of thumbing its nose at at um, authority at, at at convention and and certainly as you say at, at wealth. Well, uh, the long goodbye is currently streaming on Canopy and is available on Apple TV and many other rental platforms as well as DVD and Blu-ray. Confess Fletch is available in premium video on demand or for an extra five bucks, you can just own the damn thing and it will make it to showtime later this month. Uh, maybe that may, maybe it will become a thing. It just feels like me. It feels, I just, it can't just go away. It's just no way. Right. Anyway, uh, we'll be right. We'll be back uh, with uh, your next picture show. Finally, it's time to recommend a film or film-related item that complements this set of episodes. We call it Your Next Picture Show in the hopes that it puts some interesting choices on your radar. Keith, you have something for us today, yes? I do. And it's, it's, it's a good companion piece to both films, but especially the Long Goodbye. It's a film from 1977 called The Late Show, which was written and directed by Robert Benton and produced by Robert Altman. And it's similar to Long Goodbye in, in that it's kind of a, a, a shaggy detective story uh, set in Los Angeles that's kind of um, – you stuck between the past and and the present. Uh, representing the past is is Art Carney, who's an aging private eye, who's kind of down on his luck and 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 wanting uh, for business. Uh, through complicated circumstances, he ends up pursuing a mystery in the company of his partner, uh, uh, played by Lily Tomlin, who is like a you know a kooky new agey Los Angelino. She's she's a she's a she's a young oddball to go with his old crusty. Uh, uh, a character. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's surprisingly dark at times, and it is lifelong goodbye. It's it's kind of it's set in a Hollywood that's kind of reckoning with its golden age. I mean, you get a lot of allusions to classic Hollywood and a, and a strong sense that that era has passed as well. And it's also kind of, and, and like the long goodbye, it's kind of a uh, other side of Los Angeles film and, and that the people end up like doing a lot of walking and taking mass transit and, and other ways that are not particularly, that Los Angeles is, isn't particularly suited for. Uh, I think it's, I think it's really uh, quite a winning film. I, 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 it was a hit in its day. I'm not sure. It feels like one that's kind of fallen under the radar uh, since then, but I, I think you know anyone who would seek this out. Uh, if you enjoyed the long goodbye or confess Fletch, and especially if you enjoyed both films, you would enjoy the late show. 
I have not seen this film, Keith. I, I'm ashamed to say, uh, though I have seen some other Robert Benton films I've liked. So uh, um, this is this choice is for me. What's I like? I like Confess Fletch. I like the Long, long Goodbye. Why wouldn't I yeah, like this film? There you go. Have you uh, seen Bad Company? That's another good Robert Benton film. Nope, nope. nope. Maybe Kramer vs. Kramer. I know you've seen. Oh, if I did, I, I wrote about it for for, for Guardian, and, and I, I saw Nobody's Fool and a bunch of other things. I I, uh, I rewatched Twilight. Uh, Twilight. Twilight's yeah, good. Recently. Twilight's good. Yeah, Twilight yeah. actually wouldn't be a bad companion piece either. It's it's another like L.A. Uh, noir with an aging uh, with a out kind of. I guess Marlowe's not aging, but he's sort of out of time. And and when no and right. Twilight, Paul Newman playing an aging detective. Good one. Yeah, and and a best friend you can't really trust. Yeah, mm. it's the same movie essentially. <laughs> essentially, yeah. well, that's it for this edition of the next picture show. But we'll be back next week with a new pairing. Keith, want to set us up for our episodes releasing on October eighteenth and twenty fifth? On the surface, Park Chan Wook's new film Decision to Leave doesn't seem to have much in common with his previous films. But then his previous films don't seem to have a lot in common with each other, either. It's a long jump from the politics of joint security area to his early violence ballads like Old Boy and Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, to the bloody vampire story Thirst, to the literary drama The Handmaiden. And with Decision to Leave, he's switching genres again, this time to a police procedural crossed with a romantic drama. When a detective suspects a young widow of a very clever murder, his investigation gradually becomes more of a hands-off romance, where both parties have their own agendas. Director Park says his biggest inspiration was David Lean's 1945 film Brief Encounter, about two lonely people who have an emotional affair carried out through decorous meetings in a train station, even though they're both married and faithful to their spouses. We'll look at what Park took from Brief Encounter and how Decision to Leave fits into his long history of shape-changing cinema next time on The Next Picture Show. For now, we welcome your feedback on The Long Goodbye and Confess Fletch and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. Email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net or leave us a voicemail at 773-234-9730. Before we close out this week's episode, where can we find you, uh, uh, Keith Thipps? I said everyone these days, but it's just, but it's uh, just me. The only regular we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to know, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find me. Well, I'm a freelance writer. You can find me on Twitter at kfips3000, where I link to my work at places like GQ, The Ringer, Vulture, TV Guide, a couple other places now and then, including the reveal which is a substack newsletter i run with my friend and collaborator scott tobias it's tobias hey. right yeah yeah scott tobias and you can find That's that me. at uh, substack.reveal.com if you like what we do here you the reveal.substack.com oh you're right go to that one instead uh and and uh if you like what we do here you will enjoy what we do there i hope i think so right no where, 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 where can we find you yeah, also freelancing, um, uh, best place to find me is to go to my Twitter, where I am absolutely delightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do not, uh, you know, complain or uh, cavell about the issues of the day. Mostly I post pictures of food <laughs> and uh, pass along funny things my kids say. I should also um, note that you're like the only person who posts pictures of food where the food doesn't make look like it's already like been digested it makes me want to throw up i don't know you're, you're a good food <laughs> photographer uh you know i well i'm getting a new camera soon again the food's going to be amazing you're going to be <laughs> totally blown away by it anyway so uh, i'm at my twitter handle is at noel mu that's n-o-e-l m as in murray u as in murray <laughs> and uh you'll find you know i post links to my stuff there i, I mainly write for the new york times los angeles times but occasionally 
um, a few other scattered places. So um, follow me there. Uh, you can find our absent co-hosts, Tasha Robinson and Genevieve Kosky under Twitter under those names, uh, Tasha Robinson and Genevieve Kosky. Uh, Genevieve is the TV editor for Vulture and Tasha is the film and streaming editor at Polygon. Um, I am. You can find me uh, on Twitter at at Scott uh, underscore Tobias, and you can find me, of course, at The Reveal, but also The New York Times. Uh, you can find me on um, uh, Guardian, Vulture, um, The Ring, and other fine publications. Um, you can stay updated on The Next Picture Show at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at nextpicturepod. Get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. And as always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Dan the Baked Jakes for his assistance producing this podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the film spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time.